This is the Top Entrepreneurs Podcast, where founders share how they started their companies and got filthy rich or crash and burn. Each episode features revenue numbers, customer counts, and other insider information that creates business news headlines. We went from a couple of hundred thousand dollars to 2.7 million. I had no money when I started the company. It was $160 million, which is the size of many IPOs. We're bootstrapped. We have like 22,000 customers. With over 5 million downloads in a very short amount of time, major outlets like Inc. are calling us the fastest growing business show on iTunes. I'm your host, Nathan Latka, and here's today's episode. Hello, everybody. My guest today is Scott Beachuk. He brings over 20 years of deep product management, engineering, and SaaS experience to his role as a partner on Northwest's enterprise team, obviously as a VC firm. Scott most recently served as Senior Vice President of Product Management for Salesforce's Service Cloud. While at Salesforce, he also served as Head of Engineering, Product UX, and Documentation for Desk.com. Scott, are you ready to take us to the top? I'm ready. Let's do this. I'm hoping my people don't kill me here because I've gone to the dark side. Usually I just have CEOs on and now I'm letting the VCs on. So we're going to make this a good one. We'll have some fun. All right. um, I'm looking forward to it. You're basically a founder. I mean, you're a product guy. You were at desk. Why make the jump from Salesforce to NVP? That's a great question. You know, I um, never thought I would. Uh, I was an entrepreneur for 15 years before Salesforce and then had a six and a half year run uh, at Salesforce. So in, in a way, I kind of think of myself more as an entrepreneur and a company builder uh, than anything else. But um, running through Salesforce was an opportunity for me to learn how to build at extreme scale and work with people who had done it many times over themselves. And I thought, you know, when I was in my 20s and I was raising my own venture capital, I thought, you know, one day I would love to be I would love to have enough experience learning how to do things the right way, making enough mistakes that I could actually share that broadly with a number of companies. And uh, venture capital is, is a good way for me to sort of express that uh, over more than just a single company. So again, that's, that's my goal is to kind of share the good, the bad, the ugly, and help these companies grow. And you know, after you know, 22 years of uh, you know, uh, you know, just kind of running through uh, building a number of different businesses, I think the timing is good. I think the timing is right now for me to share as much as I can. So Scott, give me an example of a portfolio company you've worked with where you help them create a good outcome out of a shitty solution. So, but don't tell me about like an actual coded big success story. I mean, like a real one. For example, Brad Feld recently he was a board board advisor at Mattermark. You know, board observer at Full Contact. Mattermark sells for peanuts to Full Contact, but Mattermark folks that were investors get shares in Full Contact. Brad Feld sells the LPs on upside potentially in Full Contact, so it's a win 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 for everybody. Tell me about a shit story that you made beautiful. <laughs> it's a good one. You know. Uh, I've only been uh, a VC for, believe it or not, nine months. I'm the new kid on the block. So even as a partner in the firm, I would love to say that I've had the opportunity to transform these these companies in that short amount of time. But the reality is, you know, this is usually a pretty long time horizon. Um, One thing that I can say, though, is one of the investments that I've made, Socrates.ai, uh, this is a super cool company. Um, they're transforming the HR and benefits space um, using a conversational UI so that employees can have a really simple way to access all their information across you know, potentially dozens of different complex 
um, HR systems. And you know, coming from Salesforce, I can tell you right now, uh, that can be daunting. Uh, if you just want to do something like figure out why your paycheck was wrong, uh, that can be a hard problem to solve. So this is one of those companies where early stage, less than a year old, um, I'm coming in as both a former CEO and entrepreneur myself, and also kind of thinking ahead, how are we going to build a really big company? Because um, they're going after the enterprise on day one. So, you know, I came into this company and uh, hit the ground running. You know, we're you're talking uh, Socrates or N MVP? Uh, at NVP. Yeah. So yeah. Socrates is one of my investments at, at NVP. Um, you know, fantastic initial founding team. There's a lot of building that we need to do a lot of product strategy, a lot of building out the rest of the team, a lot of introductions, um, and breaking into some pretty large, uh, accounts. And so that's one of the ones where I think I'm going to, I'm going to work my hardest to add the most value uh, in the short term. So that's a good one because they're only about seven months old. Are you hunting for a company where you can actually go in and join full time? Uh, joining full time is less likely. Um, I've, I've already invested in four different companies over a fairly short amount of time, and I'm sure I'll do more. What I really want to do though, is I want to spend the time that I do have with these companies focusing on things that I can actually help with. I'm not, a, I'm not an expert in, in every area, that's for sure. But when it comes to product strategy, partnerships, um, scaling an organization, scaling technology, hiring great executives, these are all areas that I think I can add a lot of value. So that's where I'm going to do that over a, over a large portfolio. A lot of my listeners are CEOs that have built very successful companies bootstrapped. And so they're doing, call it five to 10 million bucks a year. They control a company. They pay themselves a couple million a year. It's a great business. I also have the other end of the spectrum. You know, before you, the two interviews, I think together they've raised about $400 million together. It was Data Stacks and Trenda, right? Which went public in 2016. And yep. so I always wonder, right, as a, as a capitalist minded founder, and you've been there in your mid 20s when you decide to raise, is it a quicker way if you're only optimizing for getting rich? Raise capital or don't raise capital? No, that is that is the billion dollar question, isn't it? Um, great example, um, a company that I invested in uh, based out of Vancouver called ACL. This is a company that's a 30-year-old company, had never raised a penny of capital wow. to date. They bootstrapped for 30 years extremely successful, um, you know, a, a nice steady growth path over, you know, since the late eighties. And, uh, you know, they were at a moment in time where they said, you know what, we think there's an opportunity to strike They're They're in, uh, arguably, you know, not the sexiest area it's governance, risk and compliance. But when you look at the opportunity and how every single large enterprise company in the world needs it, it actually starts to look pretty sexy. And if they want to get a path to, you know, this hockey stick effect um, an infusion of capital and bringing a company like Norwest into the picture where we can really help them, you know, craft the right strategy and the right execution to get them to potentially an IPO one day, potentially another form of liquidity. Um, the timing was right. And for them, it was a combination of bootstrap for as long as you can and do, do as well as you can. And now the right decision was let's infuse some um, let's infuse some capital um, in kind of a private e uh, growth equity type of arrangement. And uh, it's so far so good, working out real well. I'm not familiar with that company, but I imagine that founder was very comfortable if he's been doing this for 30 years. And it took a little bit of convincing on your end for him to take this deal. I'm, I'm assuming here, him or her to take this deal. Was any of that round secondary where he or she took money off the table? 
Uh, you know, the, the whole way that, the, that founders like this tend to think about these deals is they think about their company first and they think about their employees first. And they think about, you know, how can how can they actually after 30 years of success, how can they really take this to sort of this quantum leap next level? And so uh, the founder, he's you know, he's brilliant, um, but he really cares a lot about the company. And he cares a lot, but he thinks that there's a great opportunity. Um, so for him, he wanted to bring as much capital to the company as he possibly could um, so that we can potentially make some really strategic moves that are, that are going to be capital intensive along the way. We want to grow faster. We possibly want to grow um, in creative ways that are going to are going to require some additional capital. So he is, you know, he's a very uh, humble uh, but smart uh, founder. And I think it I think it takes a lot for a founder to do to make that mental switch from, hey, you know what? It's almost like a family run bootstrap business to, hey, you know what? We're going to go big and we're going to bring a firm like Norwest in to help us superpower that next uh, that next change. Mm -hmm. Nine out of 10, though. Right. You only need one winner. Right. Whereas he or she, the owner, I mean, this is their only thing. They're 100 percent in. How do you manage that that kind of incentive gap? And, and you know, I can't. I don't know how much I can share of this, so I'll keep it super high level. But, you know, Ilya with Datanize right, out in the valley, right? He's built a great company. Uh, I don't know if he has shared how much revenue they're doing, but healthy company. And he's only raised about a million bucks. And he pays himself and all the employees a great dividend at the end of the year. And it is like uh -huh. enough money to make them very comfortable, way above average. And mm -hmm. that's an alternative to raising capital to go for something big to get everyone a big payout. Um how do you manage these diverse incentive structures between a VC and a founder? Yeah, I think it depends on the company and the timing. Um, you know, some companies are at a moment in time where all of a sudden something fundamentally changed, right? So it may have been that for the last decade, um, they've been able to be very successful in a bootstrap situation. And yeah, maybe they're, they've been incenting their employees with cash, but a lot of times we turn a corner, either there's a new technology opportunity or the market itself changes. And they say, wow, if we had more capital to work with, we can actually take a much faster growth curve. And guess what? There's still going to be great incentives for the employees and the shareholders. But employees, you know, obviously you want to keep everybody excited and motivated, but maybe it shifts. Maybe instead of taking some sort of a, a, a dividend, like you called it, maybe there's a great equity upside um, and, and that sort of scenario that they, can, that they can start to paint. And I think a lot of the companies in our portfolio, we have 140 active portfolio companies right now. A lot of those companies are thinking about that. They're thinking about how do we keep everyone super excited and motivated for you know, the next five years while we build toward that next liquidity event. So I think there's always a lot of options there. Yep. Um, it, this is a debate that will go on forever, so I'm going to stop beating it into the ground. I want to shift to uh, your move from Salesforce to Norwest. Why make that move personally? Or was it personal or just purely strategic from a business perspective? You know, for me, it was actually a really difficult decision. Um, Salesforce is... Uh, you know, arguably one of the best companies, and it's not me just drinking the Kool Aid. I'm just, I'm just being honest with this. Is Scott, I would hit you if I thought you were bullshitting me. We've seen the reports. Benioff is up there in the top in terms of CEOs. The company's a freaking rocket ship, first SaaS major player. I get it. 
Yeah. I mean, I, I, I feel it, it was very humbling and uh, to, to even have an opportunity to work so closely uh, with the team, uh, the executive team at Salesforce and build what we built over that time. Um, but for me, you know, I, I developed uh, a bit of an expertise and a network around everything that's CRM. So it's Salesforce automation, customer service, marketing technology. And I also learned kind of what it meant to build a real platform. I think, you know, the term platform gets thrown around a lot in our industry, especially in SaaS. And Salesforce is one of the few companies out there that actually has a real platform. They got a programmatic component to it. You can kind of pull apart the, the UI and the logic and rebuild and you can model any business process. So, you know, their largest customers like Coca-Cola can actually model their business in a really complex way. And what I wanted to do was I was thinking to myself, okay, this is, this is a fabulous opportunity for me at Salesforce, but how can I actually take a lot of what I've learned and apply that and help build the next generations of Salesforce, maybe not in CRM, but there's plenty of other different industries and opportunities to do that. And I actually got pretty excited about the thought that, you know, we, we learned a lot of great stuff along the way. And the, the team at Salesforce, I, for me, it was both a learning a strategy and execution exercise. And so I took a lot of that with me. We also built some really strong partnerships at Salesforce and arguably one of the most successful uh, partnership organizations, they call it the App Exchange uh, over there. And you know, that is a great model, I think, for any company. It doesn't even have to be just a SaaS company, but any company, how do you actually build uh, value-based partnerships that, that, that actually deliver value on both sides, like a bilateral uh, win-win? Everybody likes to talk about it, really hard to do. And so those are some of the things that started getting the gears turning in my head. Well, how can I actually take all of that learning and the things that worked and the things that didn't work and apply that broadly over multiple different companies? I love building companies. I always have. And whether it's starting from scratch or joining somewhere in the early part of the journey, I'm on the venture side. And so I love companies that are asking themselves the question, how do I become the next great SaaS company? And Salesforce is certainly one of those. I, I give you a year inside the VC firm before you're just too antsy and you jump back into it. I, I, I work, I'm going to have you on back in a year. We're going to touch base and see what happens. Ah, all right. Well, happy to do that. I Right now, I'll tell you what, I've never been more excited about what I'm doing uh, than I am right now. Every, every All of my friends and colleagues always ask me, they're like, you're kind of more of an operator guy. Yeah. Like you're a, you know, you're a, you're a company guy. Why, why would you do this VC thing? And I always tell them, I'm like, I took a gamble. I got in here and I didn't know if I was going to, if I was going to be any good at it. I don't know if I was going to like it, but I'll tell you what, I've never been happier and I'm getting an opportunity to meet some of the smartest CEOs, entrepreneurs, founders, and, you know, getting a, getting a holistic view of everything that's happening in an industry. There's no other way to do that. Yep. I, maybe as an analyst or something like that, but I get to see companies who are doing all parts of the spectrum to, to kind of form a much more um, kind of holistic thesis on these things. 
Guys, I get asked all the time, Nathan, you host all these interviews, hundreds of them per month. How do you do them efficiently? And guys, the answer is simple. People always agree to my calendar, back-to-back meetings. I batch my interviews to stay very efficient. And the way that I do it is I use a tool called Acuity Scheduling at nathanlatka.com forward slash schedule. And the reason I use them is very simple. They keep my no-show rate very low because they send out reminders about when the interview or the meeting is coming up. And also they make it very easy to schedule time, right? I don't have to go back and forth via email 10,000 times with people I'm trying to meet with. Okay. At nathanlatka.com forward slash schedule. Helps me so much. And by the way, Look, I like have so many meetings. I'm the best at meetings. Okay. I do them back to back. Very, very efficient. You guys know me. Many people say I'm the most efficient they've ever seen. Okay. So I use the tool. It's so efficient. And by the way, I got Gavin. I said, Gavin, he's the CEO. I said, I want a great deal for my people. He said, Nathan, well, most people get a 14 day trial. Isn't that great? I said, no, he's given us a 45 day free trial at nathanlatka.com forward slash schedule. That's not going to stay up forever. So go get it now. Nathanlatka.com forward slash schedule. Last question, Scott, before we wrap up with the famous five, as the corporate tax rate comes down from 35 to somewhere in the 20s and an influx of money comes back into the States, a lot of these BD departments at large companies are going to have more money to play with. They might be doing more of their own investing. Does that make it harder for a traditional VC firm like you that's not necessarily specialized in one category, at least to the degree that the actual company is? Does that make it Mm -hmm. harder for you to get into those kinds of deals? I don't think so. I think what we end up doing at Norwest is we end up uh, co-investing with strategics quite a bit. And I think there's a lot of value for, you know, companies to come in who can bring a lot of value to a company. So just as an example, um, you know, we have companies in our venture portfolio that are looking to break into new markets. And if you've got a strategic investor that already has easy access to those markets, it's a perfect way for us to co-invest. Now, Norwest usually leads, uh, round, but then a strategic can come in and participate in that round, and we're always open to doing that. If it if it's actually if it makes sense for the company, um, and it can actually help accelerate uh, the growth. So finding a true strategic isn't always easy, but uh, you know we're at Norwest, we're very open to it. Round out your thesis for me. What's the average check size? When do you like to get in? Yeah, so we're we're stage agnostic. The the beautiful thing about Norwest is that we invest in seed stage companies. Um, all the way through, you know, later stage C, D round, and even growth equity. We've got a growth equity practice as well. Um, so we've written really small checks. How you know, small? We're talking, we're talking like, I think the smallest check we ever wrote was $25,000. Okay. Yeah. So, so a minimum size of a company, I mean, you could be doing as little as, you know, 500 grand in ARR. That's still interesting potentially. Or, or, or even zero in ARR. Yeah. 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 We, we invest in companies like that. Um, you know, on the uh, sort of on the uh, higher end, the growth equity side, you know, we might write a check up to 150 million. Um, so got a lot of flexibility. And one of the things that attracted me to Norwest was just the fact that it is truly stage agnostic. We can got a lot of flexibility. We can do what's right. Sector agnostic as well. Absolutely. Sector agnostic. We're roughly uh, broken into enterprise uh, companies, consumer companies and healthcare companies. Um, but there's a there's a lot of room for um you know, to, to, to kind of move around within those three categories. So we can almost do anything we want. Out of curiosity, do you guys have an internal data team there that helps you find and surface deals before other people or other VCs might get a hold of them? Yeah, I think it's kind of part of the secret sauce of a lot of different firms. I, I tend to, you know, again, a little bit of the, the Norwest Kool-Aid because I see how uh, sausage is made here. We have some IP of our own 
that, that allows us to get access to, you know, a lot of deals. But tr- truthfully, most of our deals come through referrals yep. and referrals are kind of the best way because we've got a trusted network of existing portfolio companies and other advisors and board members that we work with. So that's where the majority of our, of our deal flow comes from. And do you ever hunt? In other words, you say, um, drones are hot. I want to go find a company that's a leading drone software company, then go find it and find the CEO. Or do you typically start with the person? Uh, we'll do that all the time. In fact, um, which one know, I, I, I personally, Oh, I, I'll actually hunt. hunt I'll, okay. I have no problem. I have no problem hunting. In fact, I'll pick up the phone and cold call a CEO that I've never even talked to before because I think what, what he or she is doing is super cool. What's your opening line? Uh, you know, it's usually, Hey, uh, <laughs> love what you're doing. I I'm actually, uh, in an, I'm a VC, but I come from a software background, a company building background. Would love to talk to you about how you're building this amazing company. And that's just kind of how we get started. That's pretty good. That's pretty good. All right. Good stuff, Scott. Let's wrap up here with the famous five. Number one, what's your favorite business book? Uh, favorite business book. So this one's a little bit cliche, but there's a reason. And I'm going to say Crossing the Chasm, okay, by Jeffrey Moore. Um, you know, he kind of invented the technology lifecycle adoption curve and, you know, his diffusions of innovations model and, you know, choosing a target market, understanding the whole product concept and positioning the product, all that good stuff. But the thing that really, really connected me with that book is that I actually had an opportunity to work with Jeffrey Moore uh, while I was at Salesforce. And he is as brilliant or more brilliant in person than he comes off in that book. And the book is one of those quintessential publications that it just sort of transcends all of these uh, bubble bubbles and, and trends and technologies. It just applies broadly. And ever since he published it, it's it's still relevant even today. Yep. And so I, that's that's one of my top. It's just a classic. But more recently, Steve, Steve Blank and the four steps to the epiphany. I mean, that is just if you want to learn how to build a lean startup. I mean, that is the book to read. And so it's, it's kind of a mod. It's like a template you can apply to a startup. You know, he always he says, you know, you're not a special snowflake. I, I think I'm I think I'm paraphrasing when I say that. But, you know, there's always a way to model a, how to build a great startup and, you know, product development, the process around that. You, you know, it's, it's fundamentally broken. Don't use engineering models to govern non-engineering processes. And then the last piece of it is don't scale too quickly. That is so important. Companies that that build from day one for the next 10 years, they're going to end up in this like quagmire of just uh, soup. It's, it's hard to crawl out of that because you over-engineer. And I think that that book really teaches a lot of great fundamental principles for building great startups. Both good ones. Number two, is there a CEO you're following or studying right now? Um, so, you know, I... I study every CEO that we look at, um, but that's not the right answer. The right answer is I uh, CEOs that I admire quite a bit um, that have been around for a while. Tony Shea is one of my uh, all-time heroes, you know, CEO of Zappos. He wrote the book, Delivering Happiness. And for me personally, I think customer service is going to, is, it's already, and is going to continue to be one of the key transformational drivers for business to actually grow. You know, customer service used to be viewed as a cost center for these com- for a lot of companies, but now it's actually viewed as an opportunity to drive uh, innovation, customer satisfaction, and ultimately ta- uh, bottom line profit. And so Tony is, uh, you know, he's brilliant. He's also, he gives back to the community. You know, he's, he's revitalizing uh, downtown Las, Las Vegas. 
um, and just generally a really great guy. The other one that I would mention though, and I'm sure you've heard this one a million times, is Satya Nadella. I, the thing I like about Satya is you know, he asks all of his employees to embrace the learn it all rather than the know it all, which was kind of the old Microsoft. So the new Microsoft is more empathetic. Um, he embraces collaboration and openness. And I mean, look at the numbers. I mean, this guy has driven 200, over $250 billion in market cap value since he joined. So he wasn't there. Things that I've read hasn't been there, wasn't their first choice. But man, they made a good choice there. Satya is going to listen to this. And now if you ever flip a company to him, he's going to pay you two times as much as he would have. So there you go. All right. There's some ah. upside. <laughs> <laughs> Number three, Scott, what's your favorite online tool? Well, we couldn't survive in BC land without uh, video tools like BlueJeans. So I use that every single day. Yeah. Um, love, yeah. love BlueJeans. Um, but Did you guys invest in BlueJeans? Of- Sorry? Are you an investor? We are. So outside of the portfolio plug, I would say there's this cool app called ScanBot uh, that I have installed on my uh, uh, on my iPhone. I use it every single day. It replaces scanners. And there's a lot of these things out there, but if you don't have ScanBot, download the free version, try it out. The UX and the product design is absolutely brilliant. I everyone from you know my younger sibling to my parents use this thing, and it's flawless. Again, I'm not an investor, probably won't be, um, but I absolutely love that tool. And then the last one is I had a dream 20 years ago that we would one day be able to carry our entire life with us and share our life with others in real time on a single device. And there was nothing like it 20 years ago, but Google did it. Google Drive, you know, you can store all your music, your videos, your documents, um, collaborate in real time. It's it's brilliant. And so for me, Google Drive is a must have, can't live without it, and a huge fan. All right, wrap up with some personal stuff with me. How many hours of sleep do you get every night? <laughs> you know, I. it's funny you ask me this right now because I've actually been tracking my sleep patterns uh, pretty, pretty, pretty closely. What's the number? The number is six and a half hours. It's pretty on good. Average. It's pretty good. Yeah. So it's fascinating, though, to me. I've been correlating how much I exercise and my diet impact the quality of sleep that you get. So you can get six and a half hours of sleep and feel like shit on the other side of it, or you can get six and a half hours and you know feel like you can run a marathon. So it really, you know, the number itself uh, doesn't always. It's it's not always the full story, but that's that's me. All right. And what's your situation? Married, single? Do you have kiddos? Uh, you know, uh, I'm engaged. Oh, congrats. And, uh, yeah. Um, and uh, we're, we're planning on uh, doing something later this year. So <laughs> uh, stay, stay tuned. Stay no, tuned. No, 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 no kids yet. Um, but again, stay tuned. I uh, can't predict the future on that one. I'm spoken, um, I'm spoken like a true spoken like a true marketer with foreshadowing. We'll have to have you back on in a year. <laughs> yeah, exactly. All right, uh, Scott. And, and, companies uh, and how old are you? Uh, 44. All right. Uh, birthday's on Christmas Day. That's good. All right. Wrap us up here. Quick sentence. What do you wish your 20-year-old self knew? You know, remember that business will change, uh, but family lasts forever. Prioritize accordingly. There you guys have it from Scott. Business will last, or sorry, businesses will change. Family lasts forever. He's done a lot. 
raised capital for his own companies in his mid-20s, then got very deeply involved at Salesforce, saw a lot there, owned a lot of things there, uh, saw a lot of change there, drove a lot of growth there. Now with Northwest, he is backing entrepreneurs, lean plum to name one, uh, looking for deals that are really, really small, pre-revenue all the way up to growth equity type deals. Scott, I appreciate you taking us to the top. Nathan, really appreciate it. Thanks so much for your time.